Hey everybody, this is Dominic D'Angelo, WrestleZone.com. Today's date is December 2nd, 2021, and it is the very, very first episode of The Hot Tag. Now, if you're familiar with Around the Horn on ESPN, that's what it basically is. And I have a panel of wrestling writers, journalists, and personalities here with me today. We're going to go around the horn. Hopefully we don't get sued for that. But introducing, we'll start off with Connor Casey of ComicBook.com. Thanks for joining us, Connor. What's up, guys? Three of the finest minds in wrestling media and John Alba. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, yes, he said it. There he is. I think he's the I Got winner. Is that a, of pro wrestling? John Alba? Well, you said three of the finest minds that you are, but only one of us here is prestigious. So, mm. Mm. how about so that? One line for you to bring up your gimmick. Oh, there <laughs> she is. Speaking of prestigious, we have from Fightful, it is Kate Hensler. Kate, thanks for joining us. No problem. Just a whole wave of emotion oh my coming over me as we enter into this. So happy to be with you, Dom, and with Connor and DeFelice and John Elba is here too. Yes. And I have saved the best for last as he is a mercenary of all sorts, working for several media outlets. Very upsetting to me. He doesn't pick a team, but it is Robert DeFelice of Fightful and WrestleZone. Well, thank you. I don't pick a team because I like money and that is my only loyalty. I'm not a great mind. I don't have a personality and I'm an okay writer, but you have me here anyway. And I thank you for that, pal. Oh my goodness. Well, we'll see how you fare in this five rounds of questions. I think it's five. Yes. Five rounds of questions that I have for you today. So we're going to start off with question number one. What has been the most meaningful title reigns for the wrestling business in 2021? Robert, let's start with you. I think you have to say Roman Reigns because he's literally the anchor to a sinking ship. WWE has never been worse, but Roman Reigns every week, every month is giving you something to say, well, at least that looks like wrestling and nothing else on the product right now looks like wrestling. So I'm going to go with the Tribal Chief. He's beaten Edge. He's beaten Cena. He sent Daniel Bryan to AEW, you know, it's got to be Roman Reigns because he's the only one doing anything good for WWE. All right. I like it. Kate, how about you? Uh, upsettingly, right off the bat, I'm actually going to have to agree with Robert. <laughs> I think the other title reigns have either not done their job as far as passing off the torch to anything too significant, or I feel like there was such telegraphing in AEW with Kenny's reign. We knew who was uh, going to, to win there. And you look at John Cena, you look at Brock Lesnar, you look at Edge and the, the people he's brought back and faced. And I, I agree with Robert wholeheartedly that uh, it's been a pretty much un, unwatchable product outside of that. So I'm going to have to agree and say Roman Reigns on that. All right. Two for two for Roman right now. Connor, where do you stand? Time to break the trend. Pure, based purely on stats, you can bring up Roman Reigns, Jacob Fatu, Nick Aldis, or even Walter if you want to in terms of length, number of reigns and such. But the answer is Kenny Omega. His AEW world title reign lasted nearly a year while bringing back the anime heel final boss persona that people had been dying to see since he showed up in AEW. While he's doing that, he's got a fun little side project down in Mexico where he says, hey, guess what I'm really great at doing? Wrestling luchadors. And then there's Impact Wrestling. He brought attention and prestige back to a title not seen since the days of AJ Styles, Kurt Angle, and Samoa Joe. And he did it all without being able to lift his shoulder above his head, a bum knee, which is pretty hard when most of his offense is knee-based, messed up abdomen, a sports hernia. Oh, and the ring spins whenever he starts running because he's got vertigo. Add all that up. And the fact that he played his part brilliantly in what has been the magnum opus of AEW's first crowning achievement storyline, a story as old as the company itself. And he played his villain part to perfection. It's got to be him. There's no doubt about it. It's 100% Kenny Omega. And I don't even think there's even a conversation around it. Roman Reigns' championship reign while, or Roman Reigns has reigned tall, no pun intended, as at the top of that WWE roster. Uh, there has been a severe lack of credible challengers for him during the course of his championship run. And a championship run is only as good as the challengers that present an obstacle for the champion to overcome. And that's exactly why it is Kenny Omega. And, and Kate, you said that there was nothing meaningful done in, in building off Kenny Omega's championship reign. I mean, building Hangman Page as the heir apparent 
to the driver of AEW, that is what a championship run is supposed to be about. You're building for what's to come next. They laid that story down two and a half years in the making, and Kenny Omega had to be that guy. And he had credible challengers along the way with the likes of John Moxley and what they were able to accomplish to back in that story as well. There is no doubt about this. Connor mentioned some of the accolades. He mentioned some of the obstacles that Kenny Omega achieved. But that championship run, the question here is about the most meaningful championship run. No yep. company benefits anything any way more than what AEW got out of that championship run from Kenny Omega. Let me uh, ask both Robert and Kate this. Does Roman Reigns' title run, as meaningful as it seems, is that more of a reflection on Roman's effort in doing the title? Or is that showing WWE's weakness all around? Robert, start with you. I think it definitely shows WWE's weakness, but it also shows how good Roman is at his job. And he's the one guy right now that they have that can make anything meaningful. You mentioned Omega. Omega is great. But he did so much more for the industry as a whole than he did for just the AEW championship. I think Roman sure, Reigns... Then that has, makes it meaningful. Does that not make it meaningful? But it's it's the world title reign. Kenny had great world title reigns elsewhere, but it's the main world title reign. And that's why I'm going with Roman, because his reign meant the most. Who Robert, has Roman benefited who else Robert, has he was the focus of the industry all while holding the AEW World Championship. Every event he went to, he had that title around his waist. Okay, but let's look at results and typical of John Alba to put words in my mouth. I didn't say credible opponents. I said a telegraphed opponent, which is exactly what Hangman it's Adam Page telegraph. was. Impact has fallen off a cliff since. You want to make the argument that that was Kenny Omega? Fine, but... I don't think that any of the creative that was really done there was hugely beneficial in, in that title reign. I feel like the crossover with impact from a creative standpoint wasn't great, but the question was the most significant title reign. Roman still has the title. And if he drops it to the right person, that person is going big to if. be made a, a big if, but he still has the title. Kenny doesn't, I think AEW might not be in as great of a spot as they were if Kenny Omega is not holding the title for as long as he did. And if he wasn't the one to take the handoff from Moxley, but I still think they're okay. If Roman Reigns isn't holding the title in WWE, there is nothing watchable on that show. This is the Roman we've been dying to see for six years. We have to assign some weight to that. And the fact that he did bring in names to make it watchable, you're talking about not building up credible opponents. I do think that eventually he's probably going to drop it to, I'm going to call him Rex Steiner. I think he's going to drop it to Rex Steiner. And I think that is going to be huge. I don't think Kenny dropping to Hangman is as significant as that because Hangman oh, was already oh. made. So if the question is significance of title reign, ultimately that goes to who are you going to drop to? So maybe we don't have a clear answer yet. But the fact that one program would be watchable and the other program is unwatchable without that says to me, as far as significance, that Roman Reigns is the one. I will say this. Who I has think benefited? Nobody has benefited from the Roman Reigns title reign. The only people who have gotten any bit of uh, a somewhat resembling a rub would be the Usos, who are already positioned as Hall of Fame tag team champions, as is. There is not a single opponent that Roman Reigns has faced that is in a better position now because they faced him. And that is the basis of the argument right there. And what about the fans, John? What about the fans? Oh, come on. Don't hey, you, Albert, I'll give you last word on this real quick. Go I'll, ahead. Say, I'll say this in response to Alba. One person is, and that's Daniel Bryan, who is killing it over in AEW. Oh, come on. To, oh, look, get the hell out I'm of here. I'm just saying. Subtract just saying, points. Just My saying. Man. Just saying. All right. Round one's finished. And right now, as it stands, we have Connor in the lead with four. We have John in second with three. Kate in second with three. And Robert with two. You got to pick it up a little bit. Let's see what you can do in round two here. Overall evaluation of NXT 2.0 as a whole and is the brand itself headed in the right direction. John, let's start with you this time. I think that 
for what WWE wants it to be. It's accomplishing what it wants it to be in developing characters that the hand will be able to feed to the main roster. Does that mean that it's the right strategy? That's all completely subjective, and it certainly uh, is not representative of what it used to be. This past week alone, I've been talking with several NXT talent who are there who recognize that the product is nowhere near what it used to be. They understand that the hype coming into war games is not what it typically would be because of that. And they recognize that there is a disconnect for those fans who identify NXT as the pro wrestling show versus what it has become right now. When you have talent in the company, in that brand, recognizing at least uh, to a public medium, to a degree, that it's not the same platform that it used to be, I think that speaks uh, quite loudly to it. Mm, Inside information. I like it. Kate. Like seven points right there. (laughs) Wow. Alba playing with a handicap, typical heel cheating. Look, I agree with Alba from the perspective of internally, it's going to be more successful because we have seen this NXT handoff fail so many times. This is much more aligned with the main roster product, but that was such a problem. The ambiguity of NXT in general, is it its own brand? Is it developmental? Is it both? Is it on TV? Like It just made absolutely no sense how it was functioning before. So we do get some clarity there, but they're also developing a system that is feeding a main roster that is failing in more ways than it ever has before. We have lower attendance than we've ever had before. Ratings are in basement lows. So is it successful in the main roster handoff? Like, I think the projection there looks good. Is it going to be successful in carrying that through? Absolutely not. Because if this is the direction that they keep heading on the main roster, handing off to a failing product isn't going to breed success. Mm. Robert, what do you think? I think NXT 2.0 is one of the strangest things to come out of this year. This year started with an NXT revamp. They went from the regular black and gold, and then they add the extra metal logo. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, hey, we're just going to completely scrap everything. Forget about what was happening. This is the new NXT. William Regal has disappeared. There's no on-screen authority. War Games is around, but I don't know if there's ever been any less hype for an NXT show. It's fine from the perspective of, okay, cool, we have some clarity. It is a failure in that Von Wagner's on SmackDown when he's on USA two nights before or three nights before, and you're out saying, hey, that's Von Wagner from NXT 2.0. You can't treat it like OVW when it's on the USA network. So I'm going to say it's an overall failure, but it's also too early to judge. All right, Connor, what do you say? I'd say it's just an utter mess. Uh, the hard reality was that NXT did need to make some sort of change as a brand. It was the best product WWE was putting out of the 2010s. As a developmental farm system for its main roster, it was failing consistently. No stat shows that greater than the fact that 18 men have held the NXT championship. Seven are gone and two more could be gone by the end of the year. So they re-examined it and they said, okay, what are we going to do with this? Instead of Triple H presenting talent to Vince McMahon and saying, hey, here's what I have built up. See if it fits into your system. It was Vince flipping the equation and saying, here's my system. Give me talent that I can easily integrate into this. That's why you suddenly get all these more ridiculous characters. Unfortunately, somewhere along that way, they also decided that, hey, we need to start adding the worst booking tendencies of the main roster into our product. Disqualifications, non-finishes, countouts, distraction roll-ups. Uh, shout out to Jeremy Lambert and Joe for that one. Um, it, it's, they, they mixed in the wrong aspects of it. This could still be an entertaining wrestling show week after week. The problem is, is that they took what was wrong with the main roster and said, hey, this needs to get added in too. But I want to make the counterpoint in this and to play devil's advocate for a second, there is at least now a direction with NXT, whereas for the last year plus, especially when it was really trying to take it head to head with NXT, there was no direction. Everything was counter booking. And this past week's episode of NXT, the one that we got the viewership for, outdrew the episode from a year ago this past week, even though the numbers are not high quarterlies. In comparison, they are higher because there is at least some sort of direction for the product, whereas last year it was quite literally reactionary week to week. John, you want to hit numbers? Here's the fact. In the 10 weeks since that initial reboot episode, 
they've only been able to top 700,000 viewers once and it was Halloween Havoc. Right. And ha- and- how about that last year's numbers were going opposed by AEW as well. We can't look over the glaringly obvious fact that they were on the same day. And we also need to mention the NXT failure of the fact that they were going for a younger, sexier audience and their median age of viewership is 62 years old. So I guess it's how we're measuring success across the board as far as whether 2.0 is a failure or not. But we also understand that even after it pulled away from going head to head against AEW, it still did not improve by any marginal amount. So I don't think that's necessarily the outlier that you're making it seem to be, because comparatively speaking, the numbers are pretty similar in the same ballpark. But wasn't a year ago winter is coming? I mean, that's a pretty hefty episode to pull from. No, no, the winter is coming was the week after that. Okay, fair enough. I will say that Connor has a point where it's um, New Direction, they needed a new direction. I think it was very stale kind of product. Even the Capital Wrestling Center kind of had a drabby vibe to it overall. And uh, the change of scheme and uh, ambiance, if you will, uh, kind of lent itself, but does it really translate over to the bigger audience that they're looking for is a big question. So it's going to have to be wait and see. Robert, you want to add anything real quick before we move on? Yeah. I'll give you the last word. At the end of the day, it's only going to matter if we get Bronson, Rex Steiner, on WrestleMania main event because Karrion Cross failure, abject failure. It's not his fault, but it is what it is. Keith Lee, failure, not his fault, but it is what it is. How they transition is going to be the actual measurement of how good this brand is. Yeah, and to just to close out on Robert's point too, we do have to acknowledge the fact that Karrion Cross got beat on the main roster with the title. Like there clearly seems to be some sort of Triple H assassination attempt within all of this. So I don't know where that falls into being successful or a failure. If the goal was to kind of squeeze them out before they're trying to sell, that would seem pretty successful to me. I don't know if it was so much them trying to assassinate his guys was, hey, we need to reinforce the fact that this is very much the developmental brand. The PR line back in 2019 was, nope, we're the third brand. We're just as competitive as Raw and SmackDown. We're even going to have him beat him in Survivor Series to prove that fact. Now we need to reinforce the fact that this is the minor leagues again. The unfortunate thing about that, I would say, is they put it on a mainstream television product and advertise it as the main one of their top brands and it just didn't translate over john did you have something else to say i said i had no comment on the idea of character assassination versus branding oh john knows something it's all about the game and how you play it you know very much so very i deserve an extra point for that i'm just saying (laughs) well as it stands robert you caught up you have six john you also have six connor is in the lead with eight and Kate, you have six as well. So there we go. It's getting tighter. Question number three. This is one I've been pretty intrigued by here. And with Kate's marketing background, John's experience in journalism, and Connor's experience as well as Robert's getting into it, what are your thoughts on the current state of wrestling journalism and is it and its perception overall? Uh, let's start this time with Kate. Kate, what do you think about uh, the state of wrestling journalism and how it is perceived by a lot of fans and media types? I think those are two very, very separate things right now and that that's extremely unfortunate. I think there are more wrestling journalists that are credible and doing their best work ever. I would like to think it's because there's people operating with integrity in the business, but there's also Google now and you can just build yourself a hell of a track record and acquire some real BS for yourself out there of false reporting that is extremely traceable. However, I think with things being taken out of context and people being extremely reactionary and the pace of the news cycle combined with the workload of the news cycle, because there is so much wrestling on that people's perceptions, A, haven't gotten past the stigma of what a quote unquote dirt sheet might look like. And B, people just like ripping things out of context um, because it's convenient or they feel like it's sexy or quite frankly, they just don't want to read an entire article. So they'll take a quote or take a headline and kind of try and stick it to people who are actually doing great work. So I feel like as far as journalism goes, it's, it's one of the best points it's ever been at. And if we keep fighting the good fight in that that sense, hopefully we will overcome it. But I think the perception hasn't caught up there because of previous stigma and because of the ability to just take things out of context or to to take what you 
are trying to confirm your own like confirmation bias with. Robert, you've had a journey into wrestling journalism in a very different way than everybody else. Talk about what you think about how the state is perceived and everything like that. So it's an, I had an insanely different journey as I came in as just really like a fan and WrestleZone needed a writer and that's how I came in. I think it's never been better because you have people like John, like Sean Ross Sapp, like Connor who do their best work. But also Twitter is a dumpster fire that preys upon the negativity. And I think that really messes up with a lot of things. So overall, I'd say it's never been better and it's never been better for the industry and we get taken more seriously. But at the same time, wrestlers aren't afraid to throw us under the bus if they need to, because they know the perception of dirt sheets. So it's in a really weird limbo, but I think it's on the upswing if we keep the right people involved. Connor, do you see it the same way or a little bit differently? Certainly see it on the upswing, but I think we need to take some perspective in the fact that this, all of these issues that wrestling journalism is dealing with is not exclusive to us. It's everywhere. It's every field of journalism. You talk about toxic fans on Twitter. Have you ever seen an NFL Sunday in any fandom? My website covers anime and video games. You have no idea the kind of toxic stuff that gets thrown their way just on I simply do. posting a standard article about, hey, Dragon Ball has something new coming out. Who wants to see a Broly argument down in the comments? Certainly not me. It's nothing new. And the fact is, is that about 10 years ago, my job didn't exist. And it certainly didn't exist in the form where I have an apartment and a car that I'm able to pay for on a salary. The big change in the industry was not that Ryan Satin, Sean Ross Sapp, John Alba, John Pollock started breaking insider stories. It was that the big media companies recognized that there is a passionate audience for this. CBS, ESPN, Bleacher Report, Washington Post, any outlet that covers entertainment in any form now covers wrestling. And the PR firms that run for WWE and AEW have recognized that fact. I get emails all the time just simply offering, hey, would you like to interview this person? That is access I would not have been able to get 10 years ago. When you talk about wrestlers shooting down dirt sheets, have you ever heard an athlete give their honest opinion about what they think about the local beat writer? It ain't pretty. No, it's not. I'd like to point out that two people on this panel have put me over, which definitely gets me points here in this round. But <laughs> on top of that, there's there's a term that neither no one has mentioned, and it's media literacy. Media literacy is exactly what the problem is right now. The primary problem, I think, in pro wrestling journalism, at least in consumption of pro wrestling journalism, is that people have a really hard time, number one, separating the editorial side of things versus the fact part of things. And that's where you get people claiming stuff on Reddit that so-and-so said something or on Twitter saying that Dave Meltzer reported this where Dave Meltzer didn't report that or whatever it may be. So media literacy, and that extends to the side of pro wrestlers who also may not necessarily understand what the difference between a website that is actually breaking news versus aggregation. And aggregation is something that a lot of people struggle to understand. I also want to point this out as someone who has covered Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NFL. Pro wrestling is this weird spectrum of half reality and, and half spectacle. Okay. So people are in within the industry are not used to being covered critically. I say that having covered pro wrestling very critically in the past year with COVID and all the elements surrounding stuff like that, people within the industry are not used to that. And in turn, it's more important for us to be responsible as journalists to ensure that we're getting these things right and that we're holding each other accountable as well. Because I've heard everyone on this panel talking about how well everyone needs to understand this, everyone needs to understand that they do, but it's also on us as journalists to make sure that we are doing the best job that we can and hold one another accountable as well. And I think that's happening. I think that, you know, the bad actors in the industry, a lot of them, they're not getting the attention that they so desperately crave. A lot of them just simply left. They show up for a few months and then they're gone. And they're certainly not getting invited to legal, actual press events. They they're not do, showing up on the media conference there, calls. There or is also, events. Connor, there is this idea that, um, people will be ostracized just because, oh, everyone gangs up on them on Twitter. Ganging up on people on Twitter is not the way to do it. it. The way to do it is to provide construct and to provide a way for people to understand you can learn from this and this is what we can do better. And I see a lot of that ganging up and we're all guilty of it. And I think we need to hold ourselves better on that front as well. Just to piggyback off of actually both Connor and Alba's points, 
uh, as far as it being an industry wide thing outside of wrestling and just journalism in general, I think that's extremely accurate overall, but there's a couple of things in play. One, Alba saying we're half real, half fake. Wrestling is kind of the only place where it would make sense for you to actually swerve journalists, right? If you're trying to hide someone's debut, if there are surprises in line. Yeah, and I'm going to disagree with that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, you ever, you ever interviewed an actor for a TV right, show exactly. or movie, they lie to you all the time. And coaches, time. coaches lie all the coaches. time. Yep. <laughs> That's, that is fair. But like that there's, there's something extremely large to be gained from the fact that like it could be the biggest thing in your industry. Um, I was thinking more in terms of like shoot sports, like, um, like it could be the biggest thing of the year. And so of course you're going to swerve journalists on those things. And then you look like the idiot for handing off that information. Right. So there is that piece of it. And I think there's just something really interesting in fandom when people start to over identify themselves with things where I think people think they're like, being heels online when you're just being a jerk like you're not a manager you're not a character you're not a valet save john alba who we all know is a fantastic heel manager out there i put you over again but like there's this, this this weird uh dynamic with that where people like think that they have a persona on twitter and it's that's just simply not the case so it, it's a, a weird relationship i think that gets muddied by the actual nature of just pro wrestling to to John's point. It's it's such a strange thing, but like there's so much to be gained in not saying that Adam Cole is coming, right? Or whatever. So I, I think there's there's such pivotal, you have the athletics and the entertainment side. And when those things collide, lying to journalists can be a very beneficial thing as a wrestling company if you don't trust that they're going to keep quiet. But I also think it's great that journalists are doing a better job at earning the trust of a lot of performers. And I say this as someone who's been in locker rooms in promotions, that there are more bonds being built because people are recognizing that there is an opportunity. A great journalist should be a voice for the voiceless, right? And, and especially like in the times of COVID, that's why I, I was able to build so many relationships because people felt like they couldn't talk out. And if we have enough respectable people out there who can supply a voice for these individuals who maybe don't feel feel like they have a union or don't feel like they have representation. I think that's a positive for what wrestling journalism can be. We've only got four John minutes. Alba, oh, sorry. I didn't mean to that's cut you okay. off, but John Alba bringing up the voice of the voiceless, speaking of building Twitter relationships. I am now best friends with CM Punk. I think I deserve all of the points for yeah. that based on I the feel like campaigning for points should lose you points. I, yeah. I, I'm kind of leaning towards that. I agree. You know, I'm kind of leaning towards that. But I do I, want... I'm working with my woman brain. That deserves its own <laughs> handicap, all right? Speaking of, of wrestling journalism. You can, you can mute her now. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't know how to work. I'm kind of like uh, uh, what, a, a boomer when it comes to operating this thing still. So I'm still going to get the hang. I don't know. I don't want to dive too much. We only got four minutes with this topic still, but I did want to ask um, that what what do you guys feel about in general when people there was a lot of pressure to be asked certain questions at press conferences or during media calls or anything like that to like hey you you have this opportunity to do it and sometimes that question the people think is valuable doesn't get asked. Um, where is your stance on that as like? journalists in the media in the wrestling media and can that get better can that is, should, is it being handled properly uh let's john you were there at uh, full gear let's get your thoughts on something yeah, i mean i and connor knows this i preach this all the time like in pro wrestling anyone who's a media member needs to understand that you cannot be asking questions in kayfabe when you are provided an opportunity to speak to a talent asking questions in kayfabe takes away the credibility of people who are there to do a job and i understand i'm not using that as a personal attack on anybody but we need to recognize that media availability is limited and asking questions in kayfabe is just something that can't be happening and, and I do think it's important to ask those difficult questions. You're not always going to get good answers. I've had Tony Khan mad at me for asking questions. I've had Paul Levesque mad at me for asking questions, but you need to. It's, it's a responsibility, but that also doesn't mean you should badger it into the ground. Okay, cool. Connor, any thoughts on that too? John, you nailed it. It, it is about the responsibility, but it's also you have to acknowledge uh, what's the purpose of the question you're asking. Um, you know, if it's a conflict of interest, like a certain question that wasn't asked at the full gear pre press conference, it's like when that one journalist, I won't name him, but when he didn't ask that question, I didn't call him out for it because I knew A, it was a conflict of interest and B, it was a personal choice for him not to do so. That being said, you know, people in power have to be 
you know, what's the phrase? Held accountable. Um, held, no, that's not it. You have no, to I... speak to, you have to speak truth to power. That's mm -hmm. the expression. That is what journalism is. And when you talk about kayfabe, I simply don't take kayfabe interviews. If I know that a wrestler, and I'll call him out, it's MJF. I do not interview MJF. Do you know why? Because he doesn't break character. And I'm not interviewing Brian Cranston to talk to Walter White. I'm trying to interview Brian Cranston to understand the process behind it. So when wrestlers try to come at it with full in-character responses, I shut down. I'm done because it's not real journalism and I'm not part of PR and I'm not here to play into your story. I'm trying to ask real questions about you, the person behind the mask, the tights, the boots, the guy, actually, girl, actually in the ring. How about that? I like it. Kate, any thoughts on that? Yeah, just that I, I think it's an underestimated plight of journalists in general and wrestling journalists that it, it's incredibly difficult sometimes to maintain a, a relationship. And it's very easy to not want to ask difficult questions because you don't want to get hurt by the people that are on the other end. You don't want to burn sources. You don't want to not receive information. You don't want to receive your media passes and all that. Like there, it is a loaded relationship that you have to navigate. And I think people don't get enough credit for that. That being said, you guys are hundred percent correct. And that you have to hold the industry accountable. Like you would hold any industry accountable and progress isn't made unless we do those things. Like, so unless fact, it's a conflict of interest and, and going back to, to we'll get your thoughts connor we'll get your thoughts real quick we got to start another zoom call so right well and then going back to perspective uh this is a balance that every journalism in every field has to deal with robert i want to get your thoughts on that last topic we just covered with it what do you think about all that being a kind of an outsider uh listening to conference calls uh, hearing the press scrums and seeing the press scrums what are your thoughts on on look i i think they nailed it i think accountability is everything but it's also sometimes the people who are making the cries for certain questions to be asked just want to see the aftermath and there is an art to it and yeah you do have to hold people accountable and progress does need to happen but it can't just happen because people want to see outrage I think everybody handles things as best they can and it's always going to be a subjective form as to how people handle things all right i like it i like that topic I, that's one of the first things i wanted to talk about when i was doing this show all right question number four. Oh, wait let's do the lead so we have oh it's a tie connor and john are both tied with 12 kate is in third with nine and robert you are also in third with nine so getting a little tight here a little tight so it's very clear that Dom is burying fightful because you're trying to take Robert, which I respect, but like, let's call it I, I do not respect Robert. All right. I work oh. with him, but I don't respect him. So, well then. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So with how AEW is booked and operated, does it open itself up for more popularity? And to piggyback off that, does AEW and other promotions along considering how today's world is, allow the opportunity for a true blue wrestling boom again. This time, Robert, let's start with you, okay? So I think we all thought the wrestling boom was coming in 2019, right? NWA Power was a cool thing, and ROH was selling out Madison Square Garden. We thought we were going to get this boom, and here's AEW. But I think now we're starting to see, okay, AEW is onto something nobody's been onto in 20 years. And I was around for TNA. TNA never got as close as AEW is right now. There's something different here. It's a feeling. It's tangible. And yeah, they're working with a lot of other promotions and it allows for a boom for talent. There's so many different places for talent to work. But I think as far as fans, it all comes down to AEW. And yeah, I do think they'll grow in popularity as long as they keep putting the right foot forward because of all the stars they have. They've got Punk. They've got Danielson. They got Cole. And it's only going to grow from here, but it's also going to be able to see how they navigate the waters because even Nitro only had like a good three years. And it's going to be interesting to see where Dynamite goes and if they can hold on to this momentum. Okay, cool. Uh, Connor, let's get your thoughts. As far as the wrestling boom goes, there's actually a bit of a log jam when it comes to talent. We've suddenly got this massive pool 
of free agents, but the simple fact is, is that a lot of them don't even know where to go. The stereotypical answer is say, oh, just have AEW sign them. AEW has only has actually signed less than 10% of all the wrestlers WWE has released in the past two years. So the idea that they're suddenly going to gobble up all the talent that's simply been released is simply untrue. It's, it's more likely just going to be a handful. Same with all the Ring of Honor free agents that are suddenly out there. As far as AEW's popularity, it's a what they have to do is just consistently keep putting on quality talent because what they don't have and what WC did have was generational brand loyalty. Parents, grandparents, and their kids knew what WCW was. So when Nitro took off in the mid nineties, they knew to jump on board and they knew that this company was serious. Impact didn't have that kind of brand loyalty. So that's why TNA kind of floundered, especially when they started trying to throw everything at the wall to see what stuck. What AEW has to do is just simply keep being consistent, keep telling long-term stories, and then keep... It's just simple brand building from that point. Keep putting your TV in more international markets. Put out your first video game and don't let it suck. Sign up with comic books and comic book companies and put out comics, put out toys, put out any kind of brand where you can put wrestlers' faces and names on them so that kids can get invested, so that when they grow up, they convince their kids to watch AEW instead of WWE. You can be the, po you can be the alternative as much as you want but you got to build that loyalty first. And that unfortunately takes time. It's not as sexy as watching the, uh, the ratings each week or the ticket sales and being like, oh, they're, 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 they're catching up to WWE in this little category. In the grand scheme of things, a lot of that's not going to matter. And if it does matter, it'll matter 5, but, 10, 15 years from now. But maybe we're March. judging, Connor, maybe we're judging a wrestling boom by the, the wrong metrics. Maybe a wrestling boom shouldn't be judged by how many people are watching it or uh, what hours they're watching it in. Maybe instead it should be viewed in the prism of quality of talent. And right now there has never been, and I will stand by this in any era of wrestling, there's never been more quality and talent where the expectation is that you are supposed to reach this certain barometer in order to reach a certain level of exposure. There's never been anything like that. And that's really healthy for the industry because it elevates TV product and the expectations for fans. And it also more importantly, elevates what you can expect when you walk into your local independent promotion. And it, it is that someone will be able to have a show stealing match. That is an important thing when you're discussing whether or not there's a wrestling boom. Now, as far as AEW goes right now, the most important thing that AEW has done for the industry, in my opinion, has been breaking the tropes of storytelling that WWE popularized because it was so popular and it started to translate over to Impact and other organizations who are following that same pattern of storytelling where AEW is now saying to fans, hey, you pay attention and you will be rewarded. That's what pro wrestling long form storytelling in any medium should be in any sitcom and any drama. That's what it should be. And if it's breaking the minds of pro wrestling fans to think differently and challenge them to think differently, that's important, even with some of the things that I don't think AEW is doing well. And I know Kate has uh, several opinions on that as well. Kate, you are the marketing one of this group. Uh, <laughs> let's get your thoughts on all this. I do. So to Alba's point, how we define wrestling boom is something that's incredibly important. I started watching in 09. Okay. This was not the landscape in 2009 no. and I don't have the history of WCW and Nitro and any of that coming into this. So this is a really interesting time for me. One thing that we have now is DVR. We also have social media. I think one thing that's really, really cool is you can watch all of it. It's pretty accessible and we're in the indies isn't like a death sentence anymore you can build your own brand you can make a sustainable career on the indies and wait for your turn with a little bit more patience because there isn't this all or nothing buy-in look at like effie right now like that's a guy who gets to represent who he is a hundred percent and had an opportunity in roh and stuff but like has been pretty open about the fact that like if he's just on the indies that's cool with him because he's killing it. So I think that is an incredible piece of the wrestling boom is that there's not this live by WWE, die by WWE dichotomy as when I was watching nearly, nearly as much, which I think is a huge contribution of AEW into this landscape. The things that were going on with dark and elevation, we're getting to see that independent talent get showcased in a different way. Like it's not 
such a step down to be an independent wrestler anymore. And I think that's part of why we've seen the rise in quality of talent to Alba's point. Yeah, there are certainly holes in AEW. I think John was probably pointing at the AEW women's division and my complaints about that and how the storytelling has unfolded there. If you had told me at the beginning of the year that ROH was going to have better women's tournaments than AEW, I would have laughed you out of the room, but here we are. Um, And I, I think it's something that they're actively working on. So that is certainly something that makes me incredibly happy. Impact Knockouts has always been the leader as far as women go. Uh, NXT has seem, seemingly taken a huge step back to me. They were really duking it out week to week about who was going to put on better women's wrestling. But I think overall, when you see things like the forbidden door, I'm so sick of that term, but a really cool concepts. I, you know, I don't know if it's AEW's growing popularity in those cases, as much as it is AEW leveraging their popularity to help other promotions, which in turn, kind of says, hey, if this whole industry, if all of these promotions are talking sugar on each other at the same time, that's kind of the way to unify against the big machine that is the WWE, right? And they made it abundantly clear that they're going to function in the ecosystem that they function in. They're going to work how they want to work. And that's fine. They can go and do that to the tunes of billions of dollars. But for the true pro wrestling fans that either left and want to come back or are being made at the same time, um, I think that's a really, really cool thing to see people returning as pro wrestling fans and new ones being made. And hi, yeah, CM Punk marks like me who were sick of the WWE product. Yeah, they're coming back too. whether like you want to acknowledge it or not, how that's moved the needle as far as ratings. Look at the merch. Look at the YouTube videos of him and MJF or his return having 12 million views on it or whatever. So they are also closing that middle ground, I think, with the addition of Daniel said you're safe to continue. But to me, the wrestling boom is an overall victory and the versus the volatility of the landscape is going to come and go, right? I you're think- going to see ROH close up shop and come back and and promotions scale up and down. But overall, the indies not being a death sentence anymore is a huge advantage. But I think you skipped over the single most important thing that that you mentioned there, which was the forbidden door, because what the forbidden door does is it shows you that there can be healthy collaboration between promotions and it knocks down the internal tribalism that keep in mind, WWE five, six years ago, if WWE said the word impact, it was like, Oh, total nonstop action. Oh, oh my God. Whereas now <laughs> we're hearkening back to the territory days where there's collaboration between all of these different promotions. And sure, you could say, well, they have invested interest in doing this because they had the impact, but whatever you want to say, it is healthy for everyone. And that most importantly builds goodwill and goodwill correlates directly with popularity. And that's why people have good faith in AEW to deliver on long-term storytelling. Robert, is the product oversaturated though? Is the no, because now you can simply go and find the thing that you like and you don't have to watch anything else. So while it may seem that way, it's really just a healthy selection and you have healthy choices, you know? And I think that's the benefit of AEW getting text messages every week from people who didn't watch in 2009 because they were just burned out that are like, I love this. This feels like when we were growing up. That's the importance of AEW. And that is where the boom is. But really, maybe the boom was before that led us to this point, you know? Mm-hmm. Connor. I- I think what the industry really needs in terms of the the boom cycle uh, is it needs a legitimate number three option uh, as a company. Um, You you look at the landscape right now, WWE is determining who they want to bring in based off a woman's age and a guy's height and how much college sports they played. AEW can only sign so many people and they're having a hard time filling, putting as many people as possible on four hours a week, no, three hours of weekly television, not counting dark and elevation. MLW is throwing everything at the wall and trying to resurrect Lucha Underground. And they're also saying, hey, you don't have to sign a full-time contract to actually come here. Impact seems dead set on staying exactly where it is in terms of size. New Japan Strong is kind of dependent on what's happening over in New Japan. And I don't know if you've heard, but the COVID virus is still very much around. That's still very much affecting an island nation. Ring of Honor, the great tragedy is that now is the perfect time for them to have not only stuck around, but continue to grow and try to get a better presence on television. The NWA is hiding behind a paywall. Like there's, 
there's no clear cut like, hey, who's going to be that number three? You would say GCW. Here's the problem. They can't get any bigger without suddenly locking down people to contracts and they can't start getting up so many wrestlers from other companies if they want to do that, if they want to get television, because you're not going to, Tony Khan's going to be like, yeah, John Moxley can be on the other show and potentially have some sort of uh, scheduling conflict. That ain't going to fly. So th- I feel like there does need to be one but more company that's brought I in. I so hey, disagree with that. I so disagree with that because while for, for sure, for, for talent purposes, it would be really nice to have a stable number three, but the number three is not going to bring in any more eyes. We have realized over these past three months and CM Punk and Brian Danielson came into AEW that there is a hard cap on the amount of people that watch pro wrestling. The audience is not growing. CM Punk said it himself in the full gear press conference that casual wrestling fans do not exist anymore. And there will be some people like what Kate said, they'll be, Oh, CM Punk did this. I'm going to check it out for a week or two. And you get a little bit of a bump, but they don't stay. So a number three, Connor only oversaturates that anymore. It's not going to build any more fans, regardless of whether it's a death match promotion or a promotion that does it just like AEW or just like WWE. It's not going to happen. I'd say so, the talent market point- is already over. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, no. I, like I was it. just going to say to your point about Ring of Honor, it's like they, the, the heartbreaking thing there is they were the one with the clear cut, distinct voice of being that like sports based alternative. But to Alba's point, I don't think you're gaining new fans as much as you are no. fans that already love pro wrestling are also going to go watch Ring right. of Honor. Like, I think that's where that was going. GCW, I feel like almost gets ruined by television. You're going to put Nick Gage yeah. on a weekly episodic television. There's no way Not that's gonna, going to happen. So, I think as far as like a wrestling boom goes, what's what's going to be the most interesting next step is what happens when we're getting there, man. Like, I think if Kevin Owens leaves, that's a good one to go over to AEW. But what happens when the contracts come up and people want to leave WWE? Is it so important to them that they're going to take the risk on not getting signed to AEW and going back to the indies and look at Matt, what Matt Cardona's done and blah, blah, blah? Or are they just going to be like, it's a paycheck, I'll stick around, whatever. The free agency in WWE that's coming up the next two or three years, I think is going to make things very interesting. Because I'll tell you what, if there's enough demand, I feel like Tony Khan would go create 17 hours of weekly episodic television. That guy's a maniac. (laughs) On the counter to that also with the expiring contracts in AEW that are coming up as well, let's see just how well AEW has done in building stars let's see how well tony khan has done in promoting these individuals because if there are people who leave like big swole or whoever else comes up that don't have the same interest that you would expect them to have coming off of this the whole debate topic here is about aw popularity maybe that requires a reassessment as well john here's the problem when people start leaving aew there's no guarantee that wwe is going to pick no, them up i was looking i'm when you talk about oversaturation, the free agency talent market is what oversaturated right. right now. And frankly, if they leave WWE, they might get picked up by AEW or they're, they're kind of floating on the indies. For every one Matt Cardona, there's five AOPs. Good point. Great point. No, it's something to really think about because uh, to, to your point earlier too, Connor, uh, AEW's only got so much space and it's very, very full. And to, uh, if, Come, if stars want to try to move themselves and get somewhere else and, and shine bigger. No, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you heard on Twitter this week, but Adam Cole's being buried right. with, a but, with Orange Cassidy. And, and Dom, we've also seen that like, it's not the WWE names that AEW is bringing in that are paying off in the right. quarterlies. If you study the quarterlies intensely, you'll see that Brian Danielson segments and CM Punk segments, more so Brian Danielson, are some of the lowest rated parts of Dynamite. But it's the Hangman Pages. It's the Sammy Guevara's. Those are the higher rated parts of Dynamite. That's what people want to see. Very much think about. A lot to think about. All right. Wow. Quite the strong round for almost everybody here, I would say. Connor, you're still in the lead with 21 points. John, you're in second with 20 points. Kate, you were in third with 19 points. And Robert, you were just in last with 18 points. So yeah. we're getting there. We're getting there. This is your chance, though, because number five, question number five in the final question here, pretty uh, wide open. So just basic. Who is your male and female wrestlers of the year? Kate, let's start with you. Uh, female wrestler, I'm going to say Deanna Parazu. I think her 
Rain has meant so much. It's very tempting to say Bianca Belair because I think her WrestleMania match might be the women's match of the year. And I love a lot of the things Britt Baker's done. I have issues with how her reign has gone a little bit, but as far as like my favorite, Deanna Perazu's growth um, and the way she has put herself on the map as one of the best women's wrestlers in the world, to me, that's that's the ball game. My Mark Hart, certainly says CM Punk being the wrestler of the year on the men's side, uh, just from a a matter of taste. And it's just the biggest news story of the year in wrestling, I would say for sure. But as, as far as someone who's actually been here the whole year, it's, it's gotta be Kenny Omega to, to be completely fair from wall to wall for an entire year. Cause punk came in so late at the end there. Um, I just think Omega's both his reign being very meaningful, though not as significant. As I was going to say, is it significant uh, <laughs> enough? I don't know. But, but you knew I was going to say that too. Significant, so. But as 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 far as as favorites, it's definitely Kenny Omega. I, I think, respective to the industry and and their promotion, I think Reigns is more significant. But as as far as things that I have loved, and now knowing what Kenny was up against health wise while that happened the diversity of styles of matches that we saw, the way that he was building out feuds, the range of opponents from your Jungle Boys to your Moxleys, whatever, like, and that ultimate, you know, uh, the the drop to Hangman was just such a breathtakingly wonderful, basically New Japan match. Um, he He's my wrestler of the year on the guy side, despite my incredible markdom for Punk and, and the significance of that as far as like my favorite, it's it's gotta be Omega for me. Good step back. And take a look at it. John, how about you? Okay, so Deanna Perrazzo is the easy one for me on the women's side. I think the argument really is only between her and Britt Baker, in all honesty, maybe Thunder Rosa if you throw her into that category. But I think what Deanna Perrazzo did that's most important, and I think it requires an evaluation from everybody when we were talking about just what NXT earlier, Deanna Perrazzo showed some of the failures and weaknesses within the NXT system, because she was somebody that just straight up did not get an opportunity for whatever reason that may be. And I, yeah, you get the people online who are like, well, there's only so many spots, John, there's only so many times. It's only be. But when you recognize that somebody has that ability to put themselves on an elevated platform and run with it and not just improve their character presentation, but have the quality of matches and to perform at that level where their confidence exudes in a way that it didn't before in any other promotion. I think she has earned that right. And I think there's a reason why all those eyes are on her. She is easily number one. Now I would say in truth, my wrestler of the year is Kenny Omega. You could say that Roman Reigns is the biggest star in wrestling right now. I would say Kenny Omega, but because I'm playing from behind Dom, I'm going to play a little bit of a devil's advocate card. And I'm going to say Brian Danielson because Brian Danielson has done something that nobody in pro wrestling history has done. And that's main event. WrestleMania work himself into a shoot to become in part of the main event of WrestleMania and then leverage that in turn into jumping to another company, providing one of the biggest moments in modern professional wrestling history, and then go on a run of matches where, let's be real, I mean, match ratings are subjective, but I don't think there's been a single match for Brian Danielson AEW that's been any less than four stars. And then you talk about the element of getting to wrestle dream opponents just three, four years after being retired. You have the matches with Kenny Omega. You have the matches... Uh, with Minoru Suzuki and so many that are down in the pipeline and what he's about to do with Hangman Page because he's going to elevate Hangman Page like Kenny Omega elevated Hangman Page, Kate Hensler. That's why Brian Danielson's a pro wrestler of the year and he has reinvented his character not just once in AEW, but twice. I'm just very thankful you switched because I did not want to end up agreeing with Alba on something. Thank you. My goodness. (laughs) Fine, you may have stole my heart. Robert, can you steal my heart back? Oh, I hate to make it three for three, but I got to say Deanna Perrazzo. She is by far consistency. Consistency is key here. And Deanna Perrazzo is the best women's wrestler going today. Yes, Bianca's great, had a great year, but Deanna Perrazzo made Impact matter. Deanna Perrazzo is the reason to watch Impact Wrestling, and that's why she's the woman of the year for me. Now, I was going to agree with Kate, but I'll be honest, Alba... He kind of told me here, great. Brian Danielson I had a great Emmy. year. And Whoa, you're bu- going to talk about consistency John, and choose a guy that was not down. for 90 days? Oh, you can't detract points for that. He's putting me over. Come on. 
You know what though? Brian Danielson was so good this year. He wrestled Roman Reigns at Fastlane, great match. Wrestled in the main event of WrestleMania and then went on to main event inside um, Arthur Ashe Stadium. Nobody's ever done that before. Great match with Kenny Omega. Talk he to could... me when the entire ring is spinning, all right? Talk to me then. <laughs> you know what though, but Brian Danielson would put himself through that because he loves wrestling that much. I definitely believe Brian Danielson yeah. would do it. Brian Danielson is having the run of his life. And by all accounts, it should have ended five years ago. And AEW is already treating him better than WWE ever did throughout that entire comeback run. I got to say, it's Brian Danielson, wrestler of the year. Yeah, Kate, it's not like Brian Danielson ever had any head trauma or anything like that before. Nothing. No, never. Sorry, Connor, go ahead. I you Listen, Kenny Omega having vertigo and a screwed up abdomen and a screwed up shoulder and a knee is enough for me for this year. That man. Yeah, but Roman Reigns theme off. song was Connor Casey's number one on his Spotify rap. So therefore, I read nothing. It was my workout playlist. <laughs> Deal with it. All right. Well, that's, John, that's a nice have... long workout because that's like that's... the longest entrance ever. Well, it's followed up by Battle Cry. So, you know, it's a fun day. So allow me to. Uh, break the trend here, as it were, when it comes to uh, Woman of the Year. And I got to go with Bianca Belair for two big reasons. Number one, when you are handed the biggest platform possible with the significance of you are one, you are in the first match uh, where it's two women of color in the main event of WrestleMania, you have to deliver. And she absolutely 1000% number one with a bullet delivered. And before the Bayhive comes out and starts getting mad about Sasha Banks not being in this conversation, she hasn't wrestled this few number of matches since 2012. So calm down. And she's not in the next season of Mandalorian. So I pray you have to wait opinion. a bit for that one. I pray for um, <laughs> But it wasn't just that Bianca broke that glass ceiling. It was that she broke the glass ceiling with Vince McMahon. The hard fact of it all is that Vince only cares about a small number of women on that roster. It's the four horse women and you can toss in Alexa Bliss and Asuka there for good measure. Here's the problem. Bianca was able to break through all that. She was able to overcome that. You look at other people that have come up this year. Rhea Ripley is a fraction of what she was at the start of the year. Nikki Ash with her superhero gimmick, they already seem to have lost interest in that. But Bianca, she always had the connection with the audience so that even when the train wreck oxygen sucking out of the room that was Becky Lynch showing up at SummerSlam with that weird heel turn, she was able to overcome it. The fans still support her now. She's still getting those big pops on Raw even without the title. It's got to be Bianca. And it's one of the very few bright spots in that women's division, unfortunately. I wish it were better. As for the men, I said this in April, that it was a two-horse race between Roman Reigns and Kenny Omega. You could have called that back in January. And Brian made one hell of a argument in terms of getting that, in terms of kicking his way into that third race. But the simple fact is that when you measure the value of a story, it's not done by its first act. And we're still in that first act with Roman Reigns. And honestly, we're starting to lose steam a little bit. We don't know how long that one's going to go. And by the end of it all, we might look back on that one and say, yeah, it just went too freaking long. And they kept running him and Brock Lesnar back. By the time we got to rock at WrestleMania 38, we 39, we were bored. We were praying he was going to lose it. That might be what we're looking at. Kenny Omega, on the other hand, had his story told beginning, middle, and end. And it ended perfectly. It ended with you getting the number one undisputed babyface in AEW, a completely homegrown talent. There is no asterisk when it comes to Hangman Page. And there is not this, the massive groundswell of support. John, you were at Double or Nothing. You heard that pop when he came out first. That doesn't happen if you don't have the villain right there to oppose him. That had to be Kenny Omega. I challenge you to find three men else in the industry that could have possibly filled that role for as long as he did with the injuries that he did, with the rings spinning as he's trying to hit a V-trigger and a one-winged angel. Oh, and then, by the way, he's also doing it with two other companies. Roman Reigns was the center of the sports entertainment world for 2021. Kenny Omega was the center of the professional wrestling world. And that's the world I prefer. And it's the world that's a hell of a lot more interesting. Yeah, okay. But I need to piggyback off the Bianca Belair thing you said, Connor, because you, you contradicted yourself and I'm ready to call you out for it because you said that Bianca Belair broke down that barrier with Vince McMahon about the four horsewomen. And then who did she end up getting beaten by in record time at SummerSlam? And then has she ever gotten back to that point? You thought she did? I say, 
Hell no. Bianca Belair was stifled tremendously. She didn't get back. Then she was the sole survivor She's, on Team she, Raw. How's that I work? was at that show, and let me tell you something. The response that she got was nowhere in comparison to what she got at WrestleMania when I was there with less that people. That was a bigger crowd. There, but there, it was almost equivalent. The size was almost equivalent. It was 18,000 to 20,000. It was almost the same exact size crowd. Let me tell you something, Connor. The... What be I, this cannot be understood. It's not Bianca Belair's fault. Bianca Belair has, is a great pro wrestler who connects with audiences. I agree with you on that. But the creative stifling that happened when Becky Lynch beat Bianca Belair, let it all play out, let it all play out. Bianca Belair never got her come up in some be- Becky Lynch. And as a result, her character instead decided to dance her way out of the title picture. And that to me, it, 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 she is not the wrestler of the year because of that. It's it just, there was more consistent booking with other female individuals who were able to take advantage of that and, and take it to another level. And that's Are not we judging a this by Bianca Belair. Or by their quality. No, but, but well, you're... in ad- addition to that though, I gotta say if Bianca Belair does not have Sasha, She's just greener in the ring. Like, let's call it what it is. She's incredible, but she's, I think she needed the caliber of opponent to make her a champion. Whereas Deanna Perazu, I think, was the champion that was making other people look great in her reign and things like that. So (laughs) I I completely agree with you that Bianca has shattered glass ceilings and certainly broken through something with Vince McMahon. Because even though her booking has been terrible, she is still at least viewed as a top competitor. Not the damaged goods that so many other NXT Can any of you confidently say that if Becky Lynch was able to compete at WrestleMania, that Bianca Belair would have been in a main event? Can any of you confidently say that? Yes, because the match was her and Bailey. Totally disagree. Totally disagree. You can't confidently say that. You could say the match was supposed to be her and Bailey. The WrestleMania plans change every single week, especially this year. They did the whole card flip three weeks out. So no, I, it would have been a triple threat. They would have done a dumb triple threat, but she probably would have been in a triple threat with Charlotte and Ray. You can confidently say that because I can't. I can't. Well, I can't so confidently say it. anything about WWE. I can't confidently say like she was going to win the Royal Rumble, but that's my point. That's my whole point. He was um, fresh off the baby by that point. They knew she wasn't going to be at the Rumble. The point boils down to it's Vince McMahon in charge, and we don't know what the hell he's going to do. That's that's what it boils down to. All right, guys. Holy shit. It was quite the run here. Um, Okay, so in third was Robert with 21. Kate made a very strong run near the end and came in with 25. John, you were so close. You had 28, but Connor wins it with 29. Connor, congratulations. You have the floor to speak your mind on what you want. Guys, I appreciate y'all for bringing me on for this. And John, thank you for being such a sporting competitor. 2021 was a hell of a year for professional wrestling. And there are so many stories that I believe define this year i'm going to actually write about quite a few of them on comic book coming up here in the next couple of weeks cheap plug but i don't think any story was more defining than all of the releases we all had to sit through those random november days july april it sucked for so many reasons but there is hope for all of that like we we've talked about this wrestling boom i think it's real I don't think it's perfect. I think some things need to change. I think another, at least one more company needs to enter the fray. I know Freddie Prince Jr. is talking to television companies all of a sudden. But for those people that have been released, this is not, this is certainly not last year. And I think great things are going to go into come for a lot of them. And I think Keith Lee is going to be AEW world champion. So you can deal with that. Wow. All right. Hey, speaking of cheap plugs, let's get some shit in. John Alba, who do you work for again? I work for Conrad Thompson's adfreeshows.com platform. You can check me out there multiple times a week, dropping audible and visual chocolate for you. One-on-one with John Alba as we tape this today. Uh, Effie, as Kate mentioned, Effie earlier, I went one-on-one with him and he just for 20 minutes uh, put the boot to Matt Cardona. It's absolutely worth checking out and very entertaining and notable as well. And up for debate, you talk about around the horn style show. Well, we got a part in the interruption style show over there, Dom, and it's very exciting. Myself and Danny Cage, the owner, head trainer of the Monster Factory, go up for debate. We just did The Rock versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. Next week, we got the NWO versus Degeneration X. Check all that out, adfreeshows.com. Hey, Kate, you are the sweetness to the sour of Alex. Oh. Thank Let's you, talk yeah. about that on Fight I, I certainly 
do not have a, if you liked around the horn or pardon the interruption, because Alex and I just lose our minds after NXT 2.0, we're dressing up in costumes. We're just having an absolute blast trying to make what I don't consider a very entertaining show right now. Very fun for you all. Uh, that's on Fightful YouTube right after NXT. I'm also on the Mark Order podcast every Wednesday, talking all things all elite and Fridays. Me and Sean Ross Sapp hang out and talk about AEW Rampage and SmackDown back on Fightful YouTube. So check that out. Hey, I know Alex isn't here, but can you tell me what Tony D'Angelo thought of this show? <laughs> oh, he thought it was the greatest round table he'd ever seen. Gabagool. I'll talk to him at my Christmas party coming up. He's, he sits at the head of the table. Uh, he's like the Roman Reigns of us, so us D'Angelo's. Robert. I acknowledge him. Right. Um, look, can you keep your can you keep your plugs in track? What's what's going on with you, you wild card? Look, here's the deal, wrestlezone.com, first and foremost, because that's where we are. But I am on fightful.com most of the day, and I hang out with Sean Ross out Wednesday nights with Alex Pulaski. And I'm also around on weekends for fightful.com as well. You all are great. You're fantastic. I enjoyed this, and let's do it again. Absolutely. Connor, you're the champ. You gotta get your plugs in. Well, I work for comicbook.com, part of the Viacom CBS network. You can find all of my work over there in the WWE section. I also hit the occasional comic book review as well as video games and TV shows. You can follow me on Twitter at ConnorKCCB. Got that blue check mark. Trying to go for 2,000 followers here before the end of the year. Guys, help me out. We really appreciate it. And over on Instagram where it's mostly just gym photos. That's, a, that's, what, that's what it's all about on Instagram, right? Oh, yeah. You got to get the flex on. Listen. Oh, yeah. This is Dominic D'Angelo, WrestleZone.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Dominic D'Angelo. You can follow WrestleZone on Twitter at WrestleZone.com. And hey, check on in again for the hot tag. We'll be back, guys. Thanks for joining us.